I've been reading this book called Fresh Power uh, by Jim Cimbala, and I'm, I don't know if anybody's familiar with it. I personally am not a big reader, but I've really been trying to read because I know that's, it's helpful in life, and so I've been reading it. And as I was reading through it, uh, he was telling about this couple, uh, especially uh, this guy named Michael and his girlfriend who were raised in a Catholic family, and they, they didn't live anywhere near the Christian life that they were supposed to. And he's, he's telling the story about the, this first time when Michael and his girlfriend came to church. Michael was a guy who he wanted, he was kind of angry about church. He wanted nothing to do with it, but his, his girlfriend wanted him to go, so he thought, okay, I'll go with her. But he lined his pockets full of drugs so that when he got done with this waste of time, he could whisk her off to some Manhattan nightclub and enjoy the rest of their night. I just want to pick up here how things turned out. He says, I dressed as outrageously as I could in a black form-fitting leather outfit, yellow boots, four earrings in one ear. I mainly wanted to shock these religious people. We marched down to one of the front row pews, and, and as the singing began, I hammed it up, clapping with gusto. When it was time to greet those around you, I glad-handed everybody in sight and was really obnoxious. They had a guest speaker that night. You guys will appreciate this one. An evangelist from Texas in a western suit with a big cowboy hat. I snickered at his southern accent. I remember nothing of what he said. I just wanted to get out. And then the meeting was about to be brought to a close with an invitation to receive Christ. All at once, Michael turned sober. Suddenly I felt overwhelmed. I knew my life was headed for hell. All my confidence in my religious upbringing and my smart image vanished. I felt ashamed of my appearance. Both Mary and I headed up to the front. People came around and began praying for us. Both of us started weeping. You know, that young couple never made it to the club that evening. Instead, they returned to their sixth-floor apartment and, convicted by the Holy Spirit, began an immediate house cleaning. The building incinerator chute happened to be just outside their door, and soon they were carrying loads of items to the dump. Nobody told us to do this, but we just knew it. First, it was a stack of questionable magazines. Next, it was our music collection. Then it was all our drug paraphernalia. The syringes, the gold spoons for snorting cocaine, etc. went down the chute. There was finally the jewelry that had been stolen. Then finally, we turned to our closets. Many items were plainly sensual and needed to be tossed. By midnight, we had put thousands and thousands of dollars into the incinerator. Before the end of the week, Michael had moved out of the apartment to return to his parents' home until a legitimate wedding could be arranged. Do you know what that's called? Most people in the world would call that crazy, that you would give up all that kind of stuff. I mean, they, they had thousands and thousands of dollars worth of stuff, and they said, I can't do this anymore. Do you know what God calls that? that God calls that repentance. These people, they heard the gospel message, and they believed it so much that they went home, and without being told, they went and got rid of everything in their closet that they knew that God would not be happy with. And if you keep reading in that book, you find out that God used these people. He became the pastor of a church, and he was able to reach lots and lots of people for Christ. But it all started with hearing the message of salvation and saying, I believe it. I believe it enough that I'm going to repent, and I'm going to confess my sins and get rid of all this stuff. And that's exactly what we see happening in the book of Luke today, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 22. Now I imagine that there was people... Uh, that night in this in the story it's a true story they went up front also they heard the message you need jesus as your savior 
And they went forward, and I imagine there's other people who said, I can't live like this anymore. I need Jesus, and I'm going to turn from my sins and follow him. But I imagine there's also other people who uh, went up for show because they got drugged to this thing. They knew it would make somebody happy. And that's what we find out, again, with, with, uh, in Luke, because there's, there's people who have a, an artificial repentance, people who aren't really... Uh, they don't really believe what they're doing. They want to do some show of action to try to convince everybody else. But there's no change of heart on the inside. And then there's people here that we'll read about that truly had a change of heart on the inside. Because they knew they needed Jesus. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 3. Uh, and we'll start there. But I want to pray again. Because this, the message of repentance and salvation is very important. And I, I just want to make sure God's really speaking through me. So let's, let's just pray again. Dear God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for what you have taught me in my life, God, because I'm not perfect either. And I know nobody out here is. And I know that most people here would say, hey, I believe in Jesus, and I've trusted him as my Savior. But God, there's more that we can do to show that we're repentant. We can get rid of the things in our life that don't honor you. I just pray that we would have the courage and the boldness to do that, because I know we have things in our life because we like them there. And just help us to say no to those things. And again, just please, the Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'd speak through me so that your words are heard. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Luke chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, we come across a bunch of people with a bunch of hard names to read. And I, even as I tried to read through these, I'm like, I want to just skip over it because they're hard to pronounce. I have no idea who these people are or what they mean. But there's, there's a few names in here in verses three, or chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and I'm going to touch on a couple of them. So bear with me the best as you can. It says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Eturia, and Trachonidas in Lysenia, Tetrarch of Abilene. Very confusing. I, I, my eyes zone over. I don't even want to understand these. But these guys were rulers. These Tetrarchs were like a ruler of a quarter of a kingdom or, or of an area of a country. And so they, they were dividing up lands and they were ruling in different places. It says, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John of Zechariah in the desert. Okay, so let's go back here for a second. We have Pontius Pilate. As you, as you probably know, that his name pops up uh, pretty common with the Easter story. He was one of the, the two guys that Jesus had to go see. And Pontius Pilate, he was the guy who said, uh, I'll, I'll meet this Jesus, but I, I'm going to wash my hands. I don't see any reason why this guy should die for his faith. I'm washing my hands. I'll have him flogged, and then he's, he, I'm going to let him go. But he ultimately gave in to the fact and had Jesus crucified. He was a guy who no doubt had heard story after story about Jesus. But when the time came when he could actually talk to Jesus, to believe in him, to have his life change in any sort of way, he said, I'm washing my hands. I'm, I don't want anything to do with this. You guys think he should be crucified? Go for it. But I, I, I just choose to do nothing with that. And that's, that's not repentance. And a lot of people... All across America do that. In churches, outside of churches, we tell people about them, but they say, I just, I don't know what's true. I don't, I don't care what's true. I just, I'm washing my hands of everything, and I'm just going to do what I want to do. And that's what Pontius Pilate did. Then you have Annas and Caiaphas, who were high priests, two names, other names that also probably ring a bell. And these were the people who should be leading the people of Israel in the things of God. They should be I mean, this, this started back with Aaron, with being the high priest. 
those Aaron and his sons, they followed God. This was something that's supposed to be passed down. They're supposed to be leading the people, leading the people. And by the time it gets to here, you know, you could buy your way into being the high priest. And that's, that's kind of what it looks like these guys did because there's supposed to only be one. And now there's two. And the Romans kind of appointed these people to rule. And so it wasn't a position that they got from God. It was just, it was a prestige. But they're the ones who should know more than anybody. And they, they played a part in the death of Jesus. When it came time for Jesus to die, they didn't say, hey, we're going to check scripture with this. We're going to see if this is really true. They did nothing with it. And then there's Herod. Herod, we find out, uh, we'll really barely touch on him, but he was the guy who ultimately, we find out in 19 and 20, that he locked up John the Baptist in prison because he didn't like the things that John the Baptist was saying. So you have four, four people here who, who should know better. These people said either, A, I'm not going to confess, I'm not going to repent, or they said, I want nothing to do with this. And there's going to be more people that, come, that we come across in the passage for today. Verses 3 through 4, we find out that John the Baptist is coming to share a message with all the people around the Jordan River. He's coming to uh, share them to, with them that Jesus is coming and that you've got to be ready for this. It says, A voice, he went all around the country, around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. John the Baptist was supposed to come and say, Jesus is ready. Now back, back then, when, you, uh, when, it, when it's talking here about all the rough ways, the rough paths made smooth and all the hills and valleys made level and all the it says the crooked roads made straight back then if you were going to have a king or you're going to have some kind of very important ruler or leader going into a city two or three days in advance he'd send some people hey you guys go and make sure that road is level for me right i don't want to be in a trip i don't want my horse stepping in a a pothole i don't want brush to have to get out of the way i mean there's just all kinds of hazards on the road back then that they would go and make sure everything's completely smooth for the king for the ruler which was a very wise idea well john the baptist he was going to do this for jesus but he wasn't out there with his shovel saying okay here's a pothole okay here's some tree branches here's this this is kind of crooked we're just going to smooth all this out that's not what he was doing he was going to prepare the way for the lord and when he's leveling those high places when he's leveling uh, making the road straight what he's doing is he's making sure that this message is clear to everybody. He's going to the high and lofty, the people who say, hey, I don't need Jesus. He's telling them, guess what? Jesus is coming. To the ones who are too poor, they can't, who feel like, not me, I'm, I'm not worth anything. Anybody who's crooked, anybody who's in any sort of way that needs to hear the message of Jesus, that's what John is going to do. He's coming to say, look, Jesus is coming. Whatever obstacles there are, let's get them out of the way so that you're ready to hear the message when Jesus gets there. The message, it says, was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, looking at that, it's a little bit harder to understand. So I went and looked at Matthew, and you find out that he's saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. Now, if you're not familiar with the definition of repentance or repent, it includes a change of behavior or a change of mind or a change of direction. Now, there's, there's an artificial repentance. And uh, that, that's the kind of repentance where 
I, I was speeding down the road, and all of a sudden there's some colored lights behind me, pulls me over, says, here, Josh, here's your $185 ticket, go pay the judge. All of a sudden, guess what I am? Everybody in church is driving by. I got to pay the money. I got to go home and tell my wife. Guess what? Our insurance might go up. Everybody saw me. I'm really sorry because I got busted. I'm cheating on a test. And uh-oh, I got caught. I got to go home and tell mom and dad. I, I, I flunked the test. I'm on the, the, the no-no list. I, I'm grounded, whatever. I got detention. But I'm sorry because I got caught. It's an artificial one because... If I didn't get caught, guess what I'd still be doing? I mean, the punishment is enough to stop me, right? I mean, if I get a ticket and I got to tell my wife that I got a ticket, that's enough to make me toe the line. I'm going to drive the speed limit. But if I could get away with it, then I would. And that's, that's the artificial repentance. Is there, if, if nobody would see, then that's what I'd be doing. The genuine repentance is the sorrow for my sins that is accompanied by tr- true change of a heart towards God. Now, this would be, I'm speeding, but before I ever get caught, I, I recognize, hey, this isn't right, and so I stop. No, no one gave me a ticket. My wife doesn't even know. There's, there's no reason outside where I, where I know I should stop. God's just saying, hey, Josh, this is not okay, and so I choose to stop. Or, or start cheating on a test and say, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore because I know it's not okay. Not because I got caught, not because the teacher's watching, but because God has told me, you know, has revealed to me that, hey, you shouldn't be cheating. Now, I want to clarify that repentance is not just saying no to something wrong and changing your direction, because uh, biblical repentance is something more. Now, I can, I can repent, you know, because this is what, you, what repentance is, is to change your mind. I can repent of being a Seahawks fan and decide from now on I'm going to be a Falcons fan, because the Falcons are playing today, and hopefully they'll win and go to the Super Bowl. I can repent of eating dessert and say, you know what, I'm putting on a little bit of weight and I don't like the way that feels and so I'm never going to eat dessert again. I'm changing my mind. I'm deciding I'm not going to do that. I can repent. I can be a criminal and get busted for selling drugs or, or robbing the store and decide the punishment is not worth the reward and so I'm not going to do it. But repentance isn't just saying no to doing something I'm not supposed to. Little kids can do that. We had an example this morning of trying to convince somebody what was wrong. Say you're sorry because that's the right thing to do, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything unless it's a change of my heart towards God. I'm, I'm turning away from my sin, but I'm turning towards God. And a lot of people get it confused, or a lot of people want to just say, okay, I'm sorry that I got caught. I'm sorry that I'm going to go to hell if I did these things, but I want to keep doing what I'm doing. And that's not true repentance. Our call to worship uh, says godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. There's the sorrow that just says, hey, I'm, I'm sorry because I got caught, and you're not going to get anywhere with that. But if you say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done, and I'm, I don't want to do that anymore, then that's going to be a true repentance. Now, that's something that can happen at any age, you know, because you can be five years old and realize, hey, I need Jesus. I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. And that could be repenting, and God knows your heart. Because I can't look at anybody just like you can't look at me and say, I know your heart. I know that you really repented. But God sees that, and it's real easy to fool everybody. And we're going to find that the Pharisees and Sadducees were trying to do that. They were trying to fool everybody into thinking that they were truly repentant. 
Now I have this picture with me. Uh, I, I have it with my pickup. It's a, it's a picture of a drill rig. And uh, I'm going to show it to Cliff. It's kind of hard to see from here. Uh, but last, last Sunday, we were over at their house playing games and got to realize in common that he, he used to drill wells, and I used to help drill water wells. And uh, the reason I, I brought this was to show him, but it reminded me of a guy, one of my two best friends I had back in Davenport. Because when I think of repentance and a true change, the guy that I worked for, his name was Troy. And I remember uh, his family was always telling him about Jesus. The mom and the kids always faithfully went to church. They went to Awana. And they faithfully told this guy about Jesus. And Troy just, he's like, I just don't believe it. How could God give his son? How could people die for their sins? And we had discussions, but we never got anywhere. And then I remember uh, hearing that he had accepted Christ as his Savior. And I thought, no way. Mm -mm." I said, this is artificial. This guy has had enough of people asking him or telling him, look, Troy, you need Jesus. And he's like, fine, I'll pray the prayer. And that's what I expected. But when I went and saw Troy immediately I could tell that there was something different. And then for the next two years, I saw repentance. I saw a change in his behavior. He was a guy who was quick to temper. He was a guy who, I, I, I mean, I would be at job sites, I'd be afraid of, of how he's going to handle a situation. And after he got saved, I was in awe of how he handled situations. I, as the employee, wanted to have a worse attitude about the things that were going on. Guys, I remember one place, when you drill wells, you got, you got these, like a semi-looking thing and a big water truck, and you need like 40 feet of space just to barely get in there. Well, uh, this one particular place, we had to back up in there, and there's this great big tree that's in the way that's supposed to be gone. So he says, okay, we'll come back tomorrow, and this tree better be gone. Well, we show up, the tree's still there, and in the parking lot, they're building a little shed. And I'm like thinking, there's just no way to work here because they were, we're pulling in, they're pulling out, and it's just... And he, he just totally handled it. I was expecting him to start throwing punches. I mean, yell, say, I'm never coming back. But he stayed calm. And I was the one who's having a hard time. Because I know I've been around for like seven years, and I know what it takes, and it's almost impossible. But the change in this guy was true repentance. He didn't just say, hey, I believe this. I'm going to trust Jesus for my Savior. His life changed. And as, as I talked to him, um, I see changes more and more and, and, and things we discussed about the Bible that there's no way you discuss with somebody who's not truly changed. And he changed and he changed. And so this is a picture of a constant reminder of somebody who said, I believe in Jesus and I'm going to change my life to prove it. So John, he was preaching this message of repentance. That you got to, it's not just turning away from your sins. You got to turn to Jesus. Lots of people did that. Lots of people he went and talked to. Lots of people came out to talk to him. He was, he was sharing this message of repentance. Now, the baptism that John was doing, when he's dunking people underwater, that wasn't saving anybody. Baptism doesn't do that. You can read in chapter 23 of Luke, and you find out that there's a thief on a cross. Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Now, if, if it was really important for him to get off that cross and, and get baptized, he would have been out of luck, because those Roman soldiers would have said, good, you're going to hell. That's where you deserve to go if baptism saved you. But baptism doesn't save you. But it is important. It's a sign that a true believer, I'm, t- I'm kind of like telling everybody out there, hey, I have repented of my sin. I know you can't see that, but I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I'm going to try to do something different. And it's a public display of something that's inward. I'm, I'm admitting that I'm a sinner, that I need a Savior. 
And when you're, you're getting dunked underwater, it's like I'm dying to myself, I'm dying to my sin, and I'm come up, and I'm going to live a new life for Jesus. And so it's a sign. It was something that Jesus did. Now, wait a second. Jesus was baptized, and you just told me baptism is a sign of repentance? Well, that's a good question, because Jesus never sinned, right? John, he's, he's confused that Jesus even wants to be baptized in the first place, because he knows what it is. And he says, I'm getting baptized to fulfill God's righteousness. God says, Jesus, I want you to be baptized. And so he's obeying, and he has the opportunity in verses uh, 22, it says, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. It was an opportunity for God to reveal to everybody else that, A, John really is telling you the truth, and B, this is the guy, this is my son, believe the words that he has said. And so that's why Jesus got baptized. And then in Acts, kind of from then on, you find this, this command of believe and be baptized. Baptism never saved anybody, but it's a demonstration. And so John's trying to make sure that these people are showing true, uh, a true demonstration that they have truly trusted Christ as their Savior. Now I told you lots of people came out. You know, lots of people go to church. Lots of people go to big gatherings, Franklin Graham's crusade. Some people are really curious about what's going on. Some people say, hey, I believe this. Some people say, I need this. And John had the same thing. We have the Pharisees and the Sadducees that came out. Now, in the book of Luke, you just see large crowds came out. But in the book of Matthew, you see that Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees were the, the rigid religious rulers of the day. They were the ones... But they, they didn't use it the right way. They made all these traditions and all these laws and say, hey, you've got to follow this. But what's more important is you've got to follow these traditions, these man-made laws that I've given you to follow. They came out. And then the Sadducees, they were uh, priestly in their line of work. But they, didn't, they followed the law of Moses, but they didn't even believe that there was an afterlife. That's why that song uh, about sad, they're so sad, you see, because they don't have hope. But these are the people who came out to Jesus. And we get a really interesting response from Luke when he, he sees these people in verses 7 through 9. It says, John saw the crowds coming out to him to be baptized by him. He said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Repro produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. I'll stop right there. He calls them a brood of vipers, a bunch of snakes. Now, that's a real nice greeting. I mean, why would John even do that in the first place? I, I had no idea why he would do that. I had to do a little bit of studying. And he, he, the reason he's saying that is, is picture, picture this summer. It's a nice summer day. You're, you're just getting it to the end of gathering up your hay. You know, but you, you got some of those little square bales, and there's a fire in the field. Well, guess what's going to happen to everything in that field? They're going to try to get out of there, right? And the snakes, they're going to be slithering as fast as they can to get out of there. Once that fire is all done, what do the snakes do? They do exactly what they always did. They bite their prey. If you're, I mean, you're still, when you're trying to pick up your square hay bales, you still don't pick it up like this because the snake might be under it, right? That's the viper still going to bite you. So you, you pick it up like this, so if it's there, it goes away. So you still have this concern. And that's the way they, these Pharisees and Sadducees were. They, were. they were coming, they're making a good show. They wanted to protect themselves because of the scare of hell. 
But that was it. They were, there was no change. Soon as it was over, they were going to go back and do exactly what they always did. They were going to put these, these heavy weights of all these laws and traditions that they had to follow. They were going to oppress the people. There was going to be no outward change for what they did. They were just relying on baptism, a little dunk in the water to save them. And that's why he calls them a, a, a brood of snakes, a bunch of vipers, because there's going to be nothing different, just like a snake in a fire. He gets out, he gets right back, and he's back to biting people. He's back to being a threat. He's back to, to being danger. All they wanted, all these Pharisees and Sadducees wanted was a little card. I got my fire insurance. That's all they wanted. They wanted to get up to heaven and say, hey, look, Jesus, I did what you said. I got baptized. I got my fire insurance, and so you have to let me in. And that's not the way it works. It's, it's not, if you get baptized and you're relying on that to get you to heaven, all you did was get wet. You got in your, you got in some good clothes. You looked up, everybody's looking at you. You got like 50 or 60 eyes on you. You got dunked in the water, and that's it. It doesn't do anything for you. People pray a prayer. I'm praying a prayer for salvation. God's got to save me. And we always, you know, we'll lead kids in a prayer. This is kind of how you pray. But guess what? Those are not magic words. It's not uh, like a magic potion or a magic rhyme that's going to get you to heaven. It's not, they're just words that you're saying. You're just wasting breath. It's, a, it's an inward thing. Salvation is an inward thing. God knows what's on your heart. And that's what makes this difficult is because we can't look and see what everybody else is doing. I've got to take it at your face value that you're trusting Jesus, just like you've got to take it at mine. But we find that there's proof that will be there if you are truly trusting Christ as your Savior. The, the Pharisees, they were relying on the fact that they were Jews to get to heaven. And uh, John the Baptist says, hey, look, guys, don't even start. You guys look like you want to rely on baptism. Don't even start thinking that because you're a Jew, you're God's chosen people, that he used you to bring salvation to the world, that you guys are off the hook. Back then, they would believe things like that Abraham would sit at the gates of hell, and he would not permit any circumcised Israelite or descendant of moral character to enter it. He's sitting there. They've got these great big doors of hell. And he's like, wait a second. You're an Israelite. You're circumcised. And you're a good enough guy. So you can't go to hell. That's what they thought. They thought that all the, all the people in the world who were not Jews weren't worth one Jew. They thought that all the Gentiles were created to keep the fires of hell hot. That's the kind of thing that they thought. And so they're relying on the fact that, hey, I'm a Jew. I'm God's chosen people. What could be better? He says that's not going to work. Anything that we're relying on to get us to heaven is not going to work. Our, our, my family heritage, you know, my, uh, my parents were, would be called first-generation Christians. And they raised me and my brother and sisters in a godly home. We went to church every Sunday. I told you I couldn't get out of that. But I had to make a choice for myself if I was going to trust Jesus as my Savior. My kids, Noah and Caleb, they got to make their own choice to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. There's, no, there's none of this passing things down. It's got to be your own choice. You've got to decide for yourself, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. Going to church, going to a religious organization is not going to do, do anything for you. Even saying, hey, I haven't done those big sins. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't stolen. I haven't killed anybody. That's great that you haven't done those things, but that's not enough to keep you or give you a free ticket to heaven. If, we truly re- if we've truly repented, we should be bearing fruit. There should be some kind of difference in our life that says that, 
that I have stopped doing something and I have pursued something else. And we find in verses 10 through 14 that these people want to truly repent and they're saying, okay, what does that look like? Give me some examples, John, of what do I need to do? It says, what should we do then? The crowds asked and John answered, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none and one who has food should do the same. Now that was kind of interesting because he's not turning away from sin. He wasn't like stealing cloaks and not sharing them. But he, what he was doing was he, was he was saying, follow what God wants you to do. Love your neighbor. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. And so that's just an example of doing what God wants you to say. A form of repentance is more of an addition. John the Baptist, I told you with Herod, he told him, hey, John, Herod, you're not supposed to have your brother Philip's wife. You're not supposed to be doing these things. And all that landed him was prison time and ultimately losing his head. But he was, he was choosing to follow what God wanted in spite of that. Then it goes on to the tax collectors who want to be baptized. And they said, what should we do? And he says, you know what, guys? Don't collect any more taxes than what's required of you. Now, tax collectors back then were known for doing that. Hey, I mean, I, I don't like you. I mean, I've got to collect a certain amount of taxes anyway because that's my job. But I, I can support myself a little bit better. I don't get paid enough at work. And so I'm going to charge, you know, I'll just charge a little bit to every single person and stick all that extra money in my pocket. But the, the people pay, and they knew it was too much, but they couldn't do anything about it. Then he says to the soldiers, they said, what, well, what should we do? He says, don't extort money and don't ex- accuse people fals- falsely, but be content with your pay. You know, they, they were in a very uh, high position where they could falsely accuse someone of doing something. They could intimidate people. They could... You know, they can keep a witness quiet by their intimidation. You're not going to tell my friend, or you're not going to appear in this court because we're going to get you if you do. They had all sorts of ways. Now, just think for a second. Were those the, the only two things wrong that the Pharisees and the soldiers did? Did the, did the Pharisees only take extra money? Did the soldiers only intimidate people? No. They, those are just small examples, and they were supposed to say, okay, I got the idea, and now I'm going to go, and I'm going to reflect the rest of my life to match with repentance. i got to stop sin in every area of my life. I told you Michael and Maria, they regretted what they did. They were willing to throw thousands and thousands of dollars worth away. And Michael even thought about, well, I could give this away or I could sell this stuff. But he knew that wasn't the right thing to do. He knew we had to get rid of it. So the person in here who slanders his fellow man or uses foul language should bite their tongue. The person who struggles with favoritism, I like this person, I don't like that person, I'm going to treat this person extra nice, you better stop. The person who won't forgive an offense and make things right, you got to go make that offense right. People with enemies, people at work that you don't get along with, that you want to pick on, you want to get revenge with, love your enemies. The person who lies on his timesheet at work, tell the truth. Stop writing on your, the false time on your timesheet. The person who steals, stop stealing. And even the person, the, for the married people in here, who you have a spouse and they've done something wrong to you and you can take that and you can just keep whittling that into them because it irritates you so much, stop. Now, did any of you guys do those things today? Most likely not. Did you do this during the week? I have no idea, but you get the idea. Whatever I'm doing wrong in my life, whatever fits Leslie specifically, 
or anybody else I dare to point out and say, whatever fits you specifically that you're not supposed to do, repent and stop doing that thing that you're not supposed to do. It's, it's hard because this is not a one-time deal. Like today, okay, I'm not going to pick up my wife today. This is the rest of my life I'm trying to do this. You're not going to be perfect at it. God can see that, and we all can see that. But we got to decide, I am not going to be the way I was anymore, whatever that may be. Uh, in our bulletins, we have, uh, on the Phil uh, McHugh, he wrote a song. I'm not going to sing it for you, but there's a few lines in here that I, I really do appreciate. He says, one day Jesus will call my name. As days go by, I hope I don't stay the same. I want to get so close to him that it's no big change on that day when Jesus calls my name. And we're all going to get there at some point. And I want, I want to, I don't want like this big drastic change when I get to heaven. Like, wow, that's a night and day difference. I want like, okay, that's a, a dim lit to a bright lit. I want to be as close to Jesus now on earth as I can. So when I get there, it's no big change. No big, yes, no big change. And really, it's just a matter of time before it's too late. There's already an ax at the, at the foot of every tree. He tells the, sad, the, the rulers this. There's already an ax at the bottom of every tree just laying there. Every single person. A tree that bears fruit is going to remain. A tree that doesn't bear fruit is going is to get cut down. And that's what we do with trees today. It doesn't make sense to have a fruit tree that's, that's uh, there, that's not doing anything. It's taking soil, it's taking nutrients. It's taking space where something else can do something. And the same is with us. Now, I'm not going to say because you didn't walk with Jesus, you died. But we all do know that life can be snuffed out just like this. You can read on the Internet of stories of, a, of kids who get mauled by dogs and they die. Or there was this little boy that was walking home from a birthday party, eight years old. Some, some buddy shot him, just drove by and shot the poor kid. You hear about people driving their cars, uh, off the snowbank, or somebody who's uh, driving their car into a sinkhole, go, going home, everything's just fine, and then all of a sudden, it's too late. Or you, you die, you, have, you go to sleep tonight, you have a heart attack, and you don't wake up. You just don't know. And I know that's, it's easy to say, okay, well, it's probably not going to happen to me because it's never happened yet. I'm 38 years old, I've lived every single day of those lives, and nothing like that has happened to me. But there's an axe at the root of every tree. And it's going to be a matter before it's too late. In the last couple of verses, it talks about those in verses 16 through 18. It says, John answered them, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come with uh, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winning fork is in his hand and to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. And he will burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is another picture of you, got, you only got so much time to decide what you're going to do. There's a great big threshing floor. I mean, picture like 30 or 40 feet. All the hay gets brought in, or all the wheat gets brought in. You get like an ox to walk around and break it up. And then someone takes a fork, like a big pitchfork or a wooden fork, and they throw it up in the air. Guess what goes bye-bye? The chaff, right? It just blows away, and guess what stays? It's the seed. That, and it says you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Back then... At, by this point, the Holy Spirit wasn't given to people the way it is with us. Jesus says, I've got to get to heaven first before the Holy Spirit can come. And so he says, you will be baptized. But for us who believe, the Holy Spirit's already here. We receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our lives the moment we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. And it's a guarantee. 
Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 talk about how our salvation is guaranteed because we have the Holy Spirit in us. But there's also the guarantee that if you don't, you're going to be baptized with fire. And that's going to be, I mean, that chaff that's burned up is unquenchable fire. It's never going to go out, which refers to hell. Now, I'm not trying to stand up here and scare anybody because I, I realize that my words that I say are just words. But in a way, I am trying to scare people because you got to understand that you need to truly trust Christ as your Savior and repent. Those things happen simultaneously. I'm turning away from sin, and I'm turning to God because I need God as my Savior. And then there's a process of going through the rest of your life where you're, you're bearing fruit, and you're changing, and you're changing. And it's not easy. So I, I'm challenging you. If you've truly trusted Christ as your Savior, amen. But if you, you haven't, if you're fooling everybody else in here, Today is the day of salvation. Don't be fooling anybody. If you got baptized or if you said a prayer and you didn't mean it, it doesn't matter. You got to truly trust Christ as your Savior and you got to repent and turn from your sins. And Jesus is always there waiting. As long as you have breath, as long as you're alive, there's the opportunity to share, to ask Christ to be your Savior. And whatever wrong you've ever done, 1 John 1 9 says, confess it and he'll forgive it. And then move on. And then your, your goal is to stop doing it from now on. And I, I pray that you would think about these things. And if you, do, if you don't know Jesus, I pray that you come up and talk to me about it. And if you say, I'm not talking to you, I don't trust you, I don't know you anything, Jesus, is, he knows what's on your heart. You can just say, hey, God, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. Please save me from my sin, and he'll save you. Those weren't magic words. God knows what's on my heart. And if, you're, if there's things that you need to repent of, I pray that you do that today, and you'd stop doing those things. You'd Forget the wrong, and you start pursuing God and what he wants for you. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this message. God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you offered us salvation. I thank you for the patience that you have bestowed on each one of us to the point of salvation. And even after we've gotten saved, God, that you haven't given up on us, saying that we keep screwing up so much. I thank you that you have grace with us and patience as we try to become more like you. I just pray, God, if anybody is in here and they don't know you as their Savior, please just put a burden on the heart like you put on Michael and Marie's, God, that they need you as their Savior and that they would decide to trust you, God, and, and that you would help each of us to go to look at our own lives, to get rid of whatever in our life does not honor you, God, and we would we'd put those things aside. We'd throw them away. We'd, we'd destroy them, God, and we'd say you're more important. For the courage we need to do that, I pray for that too. I just... I just thank you, God, for your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.